The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for January would make a great gift for your pastor. It's the New Concordia Commentary on John, chapter 7, verse 2, to chapter 12, verse 50. This latest Concordia Commentary is written by Issues Etc. regular guest, Dr. Bill Weinrich. Learn more about our January Book of the Month at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. The New Concordia Commentary on John 7, 2 to 1250. These words of Jesus are most often heard liturgically in the funeral service. Twice, perhaps even three times they are repeated. I am the resurrection and the life. They kind of end the regular funeral service going into the graveside committal. And they take us to, well, I've always thought maybe they take us to another grave, to the grave of Lazarus. That's where Jesus speaks these words originally in John chapter 11. Joining us to talk about I am the Resurrection and the Life, Dr. Bill Weinrich. He's professor of historical theology at Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, author of The Issues, Etc., a book of the month for January, the New Concordia Commentary on John, chapter 7, verse 2 through 12, verse 50. Dr. Weinrich, welcome back. Thank you, Todd. We're kind of picking up dialogue here between Jesus and Martha, Lazarus's sister, midstream. Give us some context for what's happened before this. Okay, you're referring, I believe, to verses 17 to 27, which is very largely the interaction, although not the only one, between Jesus and Martha. But uh, we have been told earlier on in the uh, chapter 11 that Jesus, still on the other side of the Jordan, is with his disciples when he is informed that his friend, Lazarus, is ill. And so we are informed that Jesus says to his disciples, let us go up to see uh, Lazarus. His disciples are very skittish about this because Judea is already known to be hostile to Jesus. And so somebody like Thomas can actually, perhaps in frustration, perhaps not, but nonetheless finally says to his compatriots, let us also go up with him to die with him. And so there is already in these first verses, before we ever get to Jesus actually entering into the town of Bethany, there are these undertones of Jesus's coming willing sacrifice and death and I'd like to emphasize that fact because it suggests that the life-giving power of Jesus, who will self-designate himself to be the resurrection and the life, that this is not apart or separate from his work as the Son of Man who gives his life for the life of the world. And so we are told then that Jesus does go up to Bethany, which is not too far from Jerusalem, we are told. And again, although that's a simple geographical marker, it also is a way in which the evangelist, again, reminds us that the place of this raising miracle is at the same time 
the place of Jesus' own suffering and death. So again, in some subtle kind of literary and thematic ways, the evangelist keeps the cross of Christ before our eyes. And so Jesus now is entering Bethany. The disciples have been informed by Jesus that Lazarus is, in fact, deceased, and that's kind of where we are when we are told that Jesus uh, is entering into Bethany, where Mary and Martha live. So the common reception that Jesus is getting here, first from Martha and then a little later from Mary, where he does not engage her in much conversation, is had you been here or come earlier, I think it's implied, our brother would not have died. Yes. What is she saying there? Well, it's a very good question. And let me just back up, if I might, a couple of verses. We are told that Bethany is, again, near Jerusalem. I might add that the fact that Jews are said, and keep in mind, in John's Gospel, the Jews are not just the hoi polloi, the common man, but is a designation for the leadership of the Jews in the Sanhedrin. And so I'm of the opinion that Lazarus was himself a member of the Sanhedrin, and for this reason, the Jews have come now to Bethany The leadership of the Sanhedrin has come to Bethany, we are told in verse 19, to grieve with Mary and Martha on behalf of their brother. And then we are told this, and so Martha, when she heard that Jesus was coming, met him. Mary was still in the house sitting down which was the common posture of a woman who was greeting guests, and especially at times of mourning. But what I would like for your listeners to do, perhaps when they have some free opportunity, is in fact to compare the way Martha and Mary are depicted in their interactions with Jesus. You are quite right, Todd, when you say that the interaction that Jesus has with Mary is not as extended as the one he has with Martha, but there are aspects of it that, in my judgment, suggest that Mary is, if you will, the what might be called the ideal disciple here. Both say the same thing. Had you been here, my brother would not have died. But if you take a closer look at the near context, first for Martha, then for Mary, there are some interesting differences. For example, with Martha, she says to Jesus straightway, after she has met him, Lord, had you been here, my brother would not have died. But then note how she continues. And now I know that whatsoever you might ask God, God shall give to you. And so at least at this point, so it seems, Martha was not recognizing Jesus to be the resurrection and the life. Rather, she depicts Jesus as a suppliant, 
whatever you should ask God, God shall give to you. That's a very kind of traditional Jewish observation. And note then how Jesus actually then goes on. Your brother shall rise again. Note Martha's response. I know that he shall rise at the resurrection on the last day. Again, a very kind of commonplace, if you will, Jewish expectation. And there's nothing especially remarkable about it. But in the light then of this traditional eschatological expectation that Lazarus, like all pious Jews, would rise on the last day, now Jesus gives this remarkable and classic self-declaration, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he explicates it. Whoever believes in me, should he die, he shall live. At that point, I think Jesus is affirming the traditional eschatological hope that Martha has herself expressed. But now in verse 26, you really have kind of the the, the real point. And who shall ever, everyone, who living and believing in me shall never die forever. Now you have the true kind of point of Jesus as the resurrection and the life, and that is twofold. First of all, more traditionally, that those who believe in him, even should they suffer physical death, as we all will, nonetheless in the last day, as Martha also expects for Lazarus, one shall live again by way of the resurrection of the dead at the last day. But the one before Martha's eye is in fact himself in his own personal identity and reality, life itself and the resurrection. And that then gives a real punch to the notion of Christian discipleship, for example, which Mary seems to understand because when Mary comes to see Jesus, and keep in mind, she doesn't meet Jesus. Martha says to Mary, the master has called you. And in John's gospel, this language of him having called them by name and they hearing his voice has all these overtones and undertones of exodus and new discipleship and the new people of God, such as we discussed last time with the shepherd of the Good Shepherd discourse. And Mary, unlike Martha, when she comes to Jesus, we are told that she falls down at his feet. That is to say, worships him as her Lord. And from that posture, for Mary, from that posture, she now says the same things as does Martha. Had you been here, my brother would not have died. Between those two very similar statements by Martha on the one hand, Mary on the other hand, there has in fact been this self-declaration of Jesus. The words of Martha, 
do not yet contain that faith. The words of Mary do. And that is indicated by subtle differences within the text that indicate the circumstances, the situation, the dynamics, on the one hand of the conversation between Martha and Jesus, and on the other hand, the conversation between Mary and Jesus. In these texts, in these near texts, also in John 12 coming up, Mary is, again, the primary figure, not Martha. It will be the same Mary who will later on anoint Jesus' feet with costly oil, and we are told her house was filled with the odor of this perfume, which is, of course, an image of resurrection life according to the Holy Spirit. So it is a remarkable statement that Martha makes here. Had you been here, my brother would not have died. But as we continue to read the narrative as presented, there are qualifications that Martha is understanding, which gives her words at this point something less than a full-throated confession. Dr. Bill Weinrich is our guest. We're going through the words of Jesus in John chapter 11 surrounding I am the resurrection and the life. When we come back, what's the relationship between those very words and the actual resurrection that Jesus effects when he raises Lazarus from the dead? Casting Christ's Net on the Internet. You're listening to Issues Etc. Metro East Lutheran High School in Edwardsville, Illinois, invites you to an open house from 1 to 3, Sunday afternoon, February 5th. Take a tour, visit with faculty and administration, and find out more about financial assistance and scholarships. For more information, visit the Facebook page for Metro East Lutheran High School or call 618-656-0043. Open house at Metro East Lutheran High School, Edwardsville, Illinois, Sunday afternoon, February 5th. The Third Commandment teaches us to remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. We do this when we hold God's Word sacred and gladly hear and learn it. Jesus invites the weak and heavy laden to rest in Him, our true rest, because His yoke is easy and His burden is light. This weekend, rest in Jesus as you hear His Word and receive His gifts. If you are in Southern Illinois, you're invited to join Trinity Lutheran Church in Milstadt to rest in the grace of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Learn more at trinitymilstadt.org. O morning star, o morning star, Listen to the best of the church's music for the Epiphany season at lutheranpublicradio.org. Sacred music for the Epiphany season, 24-7, lutheranpublicradio.org.
Thanks to Carol in Illinois, Glenn and Nancy in Michigan, David in Ohio, and Jonathan in Minnesota for registering in the last 24 hours for the 2023 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. The premier conference for Christian laity is Friday, June 16th and Saturday, June 17th at Concordia University, Chicago. Registration is $140 and includes three meals. A limited number of on-campus dorm options are available. For more information, give us a call, 618-223-8385, or visit issuesetc.org. Making the case June 16th and 17th in River Forest, Illinois. We're talking about the words, I am the resurrection and the life. Dr. Bill Weinrich is our guest, professor of historical theology at Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, author of the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for January, the New Concordia Commentary on John, chapter 7, verse 2 through 12, verse 50. Dr. Weinrich, what's the relationship between these words, I am the resurrection and the life, and the actual resurrection that Jesus affects when he raises Lazarus from the dead? Well, okay. Let me just consider a couple of things before I directly respond to that question. Let's go back to the interaction between Martha and Jesus. Jesus now says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever living and believing in me shall never die, never. Then he addresses Martha quite directly. Do you believe this? Right. And Martha's response to Jesus at this point raises some interesting interpretive difficulties because Martha responds like this. Yes, Lord, I have believed and still believe. There's a present perfect tense verb here. I have believed and continue to believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, the one who comes into the world. Now, what is interesting about this particular response by Martha is that although she does use titles that are very significant in this gospel, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the one who comes into the world— Indeed, in John 20, 30 and following, these are emphasized. These things have been written in order that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So the titles that Martha is using here are exalted titles, and they are determinative titles for the thematics of this gospel text. However, the confession that Martha gives here does not answer Jesus's question. Jesus's question is, do you believe this, namely, that I am the resurrection and the life? Martha does not respond to that question. And throughout the history of interpretation, this failure, if that's what it is, by Martha to actually answer the question as asked by Jesus to her, has been given various explications. Uh, John Chrysostomus famously said that Martha was still overwrought because of the recent death of her brother, and so her mind was not quite focused on the conversation. 
And you have similar kinds of attempts to kind of ameliorate the circumstances here. In my own judgment, Martha, just at this point, doesn't get what Jesus has just told him. Later on, when we are at the scene of the tomb itself, in uh, verses 40 and following, uh, Jesus says to uh, some bystanders, roll away the stone, to which Martha interjects, Master, he stinks because he is dead for days. I might just add it by way of explication here that within Jewish context, four days was the marker for one really to be dead. And so when in several places within this chapter, Lazarus is said to have been dead four days, it really indicates he really is dead. There's no mistake about this. And that's what now Martha says to Jesus, too. Hey, what do you want them to roll the stone away for? He stinks. He's dead for days. So here again, we see, I think we see, as I read this text, that Martha is not yet truly aware of the implications of Jesus's statement. And that seems to be indicated by the way Jesus responds to her. For he says, did I not say to you that were you to believe, you shall see the glory of God? Now, what is kind of interesting is that there's no earlier place in the narrative where Jesus actually said that to Martha. But what he did say to Martha was that I am the resurrection and the life. And so a couple of points to kind of summarize this perhaps rambling explanation here. When Martha does not answer Jesus's question, do you believe this, namely that I am the resurrection and the life? but rather answers, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, the one who came into the world. What is thematically happening is that these titles, the anointed one, the Christ, the Son of God, the one who comes into the world, these titles are now being filled with content that was not common within the traditional Jewish eschatological hope. Rather, Jesus is the anointed, Jesus is the Son, and will prove himself to be so in that he raises the dead because he himself is the resurrection and the life. And now the the actual resurrecting scene of of, uh, Lazarus is the demonstration of this. It's the manifestation, not just of one who has a certain transcendent and divine power, but rather the manifestation that Jesus is himself the resurrection and the life. And that is then kind of the the salient point to the raising of Lazarus, a demonstration that Jesus, when he calls forth his own by name, come forth Lazarus, hearkening back, echoing back to, say, John 10, 3 and 4, where we 
talked about last time, that Jesus calls his sheep by name and they follow him. That's exactly what's taking place or will take place with the raising of Lazarus from the dead. So discuss, if you would, the significance, because the two go hand in hand. He declares himself the resurrection of life. He demonstrates the truth of his statement and that he actually is the source of life by raising a man four days dead. How significant a miracle. He's raised other people. Uh, But how significant is this resurrection miracle in the overall ministry and the trajectory of Jesus' ministry? Well, of course, in John's gospel, it's the only one. And perhaps we should just take it on its own individual merits here. You're right. There are in other gospel texts, there are certain scenes of resurrection, the raising of Jairus' daughter. I'm not sure that within those particular scenes, the sharpness of the Christological identity equals what we find in John's gospel. But what we see in the raising of Lazarus is also, it should be noted, what I am going to call a conversion scene. And it is not just a miracle. It is, in fact, the raising up of Lazarus to be a disciple of Jesus. And that is indicated in that last verse, 44, where we are told that the dead man came out, his feet being bound, and his hands also being bound, and his face covered around about with a cloth. And now Jesus says then to bystanders, loose him and allow him to go. Again, John's gospel's rhetoric here is incredibly suggestive because Jesus is not simply saying, First of all, he's saying, come out of the tomb. And that is the movement that we see elsewhere in this gospel from death to life, from darkness to light. In my judgment, we have a parallel narrative in the conversion of Paul in Acts 8 and 9, where scales fall from his eyes and he's able to see. So here, Lazarus is being depicted as transitioning from the tomb of death, which is the marker of penultimate Judaism on the one hand, but also the marker of all human life devoid of faith in Christ as their Savior. And so it's not simply a miracle story, but Paul can speak, for example, of his own apostolic ministry as a diakonia tes ace, as a service or ministry of life, as opposed from that of Moses, which is the diakonia to thanatu, the, the service or the ministry of death. You have something very similar here. Jesus is speaking forth into the grave. Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus comes out. It's not, again, just a wow story. Wow, he raised somebody from the dead. It is a transition story from unfaith to faith, even though Lazarus has been earlier depicted as the friend of Jesus. 
only now is he actually a disciple of Jesus in such a way that he is partaking as a disciple of Jesus in the life which Jesus himself is. So there is kind of a participatory undertone here. But I would like to also to point out the particular phraseology that Jesus says to these bystanders, loose him, that is to say, unbind his hands and feet. Keep in mind that the image of a disciple is one who walks behind their master. And so to unbind his feet is an image of discipleship now begun. The same thing with the unbinding of the hands. But Jesus then also says, loose him and allow him to go. I, if I'm not mistaken, Todd, that's how that verb is translated, allow him to go. The Greek term here, however, is hupago, which in John's gospel is a very richly loaded term used of Jesus on his way to the cross. Most of its occasions, most of its employments in the Gospel of John is a term of Jesus on his way to the Father or a term expressing his way to the cross, which in my judgment are two renderings of basically the same thing. Assuming this to be the case, Jesus is saying to these bystanders, unbind him and allow him to go. That is to say, to be my disciple, who now, as my disciple, living the life which I myself am and now have bestowed upon him, he walks and will walk in the way that I myself am walking, namely to the cross. Not surprisingly, then, within the next few verses, we are told that when the Pharisees, leaders of the Sanhedrin, learn of the raising of Lazarus, what do they decide to do? They want to kill Lazarus now as well because, and this is, again, very suggestive talk. Let's see if I can quickly find it here. They decided to kill Lazarus. This is chapter 12, verse 11. For many of the Jews were going, hupago, and believing in Jesus. So this hupago language, which is used of Lazarus, allow him to go, is the language of discipleship oriented to participation and union with Jesus in his willing suffering and death. It's almost a martyrological claim. One could almost say, unbind Lazarus and allow him to go, for he is now oriented as my disciple to my own death, which may in fact include his martyrdom. Dr. Bill Weinrich is our guest. We're looking at the words, I am the resurrection and the life. On the other side of the break, a connection to John chapter 5.
This is Molly Hemingway of The Federalist. Join me, my husband Mark of Real Clear Investigations, Kyle Mann of the Babylon Bee, San Francisco Archbishop Salvatore Cordelioni, Lutheran Church Missouri Synod President Matt Harrison, and others for the 2023 Making the Case Conference, Friday, June 16th, and Saturday, June 17th at Concordia University, Chicago. Learn more at issuesetc.org. Making the Case, June 16th and 17th in Chicago. Issuesetc.org. Psalm 144.1 Blessed be the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Those serving in the armed forces want LCMS chaplains. We need courageous pastors to bring the gospel and sacraments to those protecting our nation, along with wise counsel and the peace found only in Christ Jesus. If you are between the age of 26 and 43 and have a heart for ministry in the armed forces, call 314-996-1337 or email lcmschaps at lcms.org. All theology is Christology. You're listening to Issues Etc. Memoria Press is a family-run publisher of classical Christian education materials for homeschools and private schools. Every page of the Memoria Press curriculum leads students to a mastery of content, an understanding of the classical heritage of the Christian West, and an appreciation of truth, goodness, and beauty. If you're interested in learning more, visit memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR23. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. memoriapress.com. For your next family vacation, consider Our Beach House, a charming three-bedroom vacation rental on beautiful Siesta Key. Just off Sarasota, Florida, Siesta Key Beach, consistently voted America's best, is just 100 steps away. Whether you're watching the sunset over the Gulf of Mexico or frolicking in the warm surf, you and your family will fall in love with Siesta Key. Check us out at SiestaKeyRentalGenie.com or call Virginia at 941-266-1858. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. Dr. Bill Weinrich of Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, is our guest. We're concluding our series with him on the I Am statements in the Gospel of John today. I am the resurrection of the life in John chapter 11. Dr. Weinrich, is there a connection between I am the resurrection here in John chapter 11 and Jesus' words in John chapter 5, in particular, verse 26, where he says, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. Well, if we might, let's just back up to verse 24, uh, which is uh, within that context to which you have been referring Jesus uh, is saying now, and you're right, he's in a fairly heated interaction with the Jews. In fact, now for the first time, they have accused him of blasphemy up there in verse 18, that he is making God to be his own father. This discourse will likewise end with a certain threat to his life. So in this context, Jesus says, verse 24 now, Truly, truly, or all men, all men, I say to you that whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. Here's your present tense that corresponds to I am the resurrection and the life. 
the one who now has that eternal life is the one who hears his word and believes, corresponds quite closely to John 11, and shall not come into judgment. That's the language, shall never die again, in verse, what, what was it, 26. But he has transversed out of death into life. And we could easily put the figure of Lazarus into the end of verse 24. Lazarus is transitioning out of death into life as one who, according to verse 24 now, hears my word. When Jesus then speaks of himself as the resurrection and the life, it is not simply a claim which he makes about himself. It is a claim that now he instantiates and makes real and manifests by raising someone from the dead as his ever-living disciple. And so the preaching of Jesus corresponds to his act, and his act corresponds to his preaching. And so in verse 25 now, to continue there in John Five, truly, truly, I say to you that the hour comes and is now when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God. Here you have that common phraseology to hear the voice, the phone of the Son of God. We saw that phraseology all over the place last time we talked in John 10. Those who follow me, hear my voice. They will not hear the voice of the stranger, but they will hear my voice. So when Mary also is said to have heard the summons, the voice of Jesus, Lazarus is hearing the voice of Jesus, calling him by name, Lazarus, come forth. So there's no doubt that this passage to which you have rightly referred us to in John 5 is a thematic preparation for the story and narrative of John 11. To continue then to the end of verse 25, whenever the dead shall hear my voice, the voice of the Son of God, and they hearing it shall live. Again, exactly what we see in John 11 in the story of Lazarus. For as the Father, you quoted this, verse 26, as the Father has life in himself, that is to say the Father too is life, so also he has given life to the Son to have life in himself. This language influenced the language that we have or that was in a precursor of our Nicene Creed where we confess God out of God, light out of light, true God out of true God. An antecedent creed also had life out of life. Life, namely that who is the Son, out of life, which is the Father himself. So this passage, 526, has played a big role in anti-Aryan discourse. And then Jesus goes on in verse 27 of chapter 5, he has given me authority to judge, 
for the Son of Man, he is the Son of Man. Now, this judgment is, again, is, it is not as though Jesus is sitting on the court bench. It is rather that as the one who is life, as the one who is himself resurrection, he places into the world a reality that does not abide any central place of rest. It demands faith or unbelief. It demands discipleship or rejection. And within that crisis, as John's Gospel calls it, that judgment, there is life and death, discipleship, rejection, darkness, life, and all these other deep dichotomies that John's Gospel is so famous for. We're discussing I Am the Resurrection and the Life in John chapter 11 with Dr. Bill Weinrich, Professor of Historical Theology at Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. This is Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Concordia Theological Seminary is hosting a prayerfully considered visit on Thursday, March 16th through Saturday, March 18th. Prayerfully considered is designed to give future pastors and deaconesses a firsthand look at seminary life. It's an opportunity for you to attend classes talk with current students, meet faculty, and worship in Kramer Chapel. For more information, visit ctsfw.edu or call 1-800-481-2155. Prayerfully consider March 16th through the 18th at Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. We'll be talking about how Lazarus' resurrection differs from the final resurrection next. Several Issues Etc. regular guests are candidates for leadership positions in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Every LCMS congregation has received nomination forms for the President and Vice Presidents of Synod. Please encourage your pastor and congregational leaders to fill out and return these nomination forms before February 28th of 2023. Learn more at issuesetc.org 2023 nominations. IssuesETC.org slash 2023 nominations. Does this sound like your church budget process at the end of the year? You get last year's budget and go through with a committee line by line, maybe what we should spend next year. Maybe you have a prayer. But where's the word of God in this process? When do the people hear what the small catechism says about giving and why we do it? Contact us at LCMS Stewardship so that we can help you fix this process Put the Word of God first and put your congregation on a good fitting. LCMS.org slash stewardship. I'm Pastor Watson. Are you tired of entertainment and in need of the peace that passes human understanding? I invite you to Augsburg Lutheran Church in Shawnee, Kansas to receive the gifts of Jesus. Augsburg is scriptural, traditional, historical, sacramental, and reverent. The Church of the Apostles, the Councils, and the Reformers wants to be your church family also. For more information, visit us at AugsburgLutheranChurch.org. Greetings, fellow Lutherans. Ad Crucem has an amazing number of new products on the website. 
Come and see our new Sunday School or Confirmation medallions featuring the six chief parts and Luther's seal. Browse our stunning incense burners and their engraved solid wood boxes. Purchase Kathy and Kitty's beautiful new jewellery for your beloved for Valentine's Day or order some personalised stickers for your church or school. Visit adcrucem.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. Old Theology, New Technology, you're listening to Issues Etc. Thanks to the following congregations for standing with us by becoming an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Christ Lutheran, Jackson, Mississippi. Faith Lutheran, Plano, Texas. Glory of Christ Lutheran, Plymouth, Minnesota. Lamb of God Lutheran, Papillion, Nebraska. Lord of Life Lutheran, Plano, Texas. Redeemer Lutheran, Fort Wayne, Indiana. St. John Lutheran, Forest Park, Illinois. St. Paul Lutheran, Hamill, Illinois. Trinity Lutheran, Louisville, Minnesota. And Zion Lutheran, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Find out how your confessional Lutheran church can support this worldwide outreach by including Issues Etc. in your mission or advertising budget. Just go to issuesetc.org, click Support, Donate, and print a one-page flyer. When your congregation becomes an Issues Etc. sponsor, we'll publicize your church on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking with Dr. Bill Weimer of Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, about Jesus' words, I am the resurrection and the life in John chapter 11. So, Dr. Weinrich, how does Lazarus' resurrection differ from the final resurrection? Well, it's a good question, and obviously uh, there's differences, but namely the life, the resurrection, what maybe in the book of Revelation is called the first resurrection, that of faith, belief, what I've also called discipleship, living the life of Christ according to our baptisms, through the power of the Holy Spirit, all that kind of thing. Obviously, that is that is not quite the resurrection of the dead. However, it is also a resurrection of the dead. We are, Paul can speak this way, that we are dead in trespasses and sins. Death lies lurking within the disobedience of sin. One might even say that sin is now a form that death takes. Because most especially within biblical understanding, death is not simply the cessation of biological life like happens to animals and so forth. It is fundamentally, yes, a judgment, but a judgment which is, as it were, confirming man's distance from God by way of his unbelief and disobedience. And in this respect, then, while there's certainly certain formal, obvious differences between the resurrection and life that we have within faith and our life with Christ, the more important thing is the continuity, that the life which now we live, maybe we can put it in these terms, the life which we now live by way of our resurrection out of the death of unbelief and out of the death of corruption, uh, 
that life is precisely the life which is destined for all eternity through the final judgment and the resurrection of the dead. There's a deep continuity between the life which we now live and the life which we have forever indeed, and John's gospel is very important in this respect. The life which already we have with Christ and in him is said to be eternal life or the life of the coming age, however one wishes to translate and render Ionios, the life which is to come, the life of the future age. That is a life which we already possess, certainly possess it in faith. We possess it in hope. We possess it in charity. We possess it in all those particular virtues, if I can call them that, that denote that we are one with Christ in his own person. And obviously, the life which we now live by faith and hope and love is in the context of ongoing threat, ongoing potential to backtrack, and hence the need for ongoing repentance, which now is a marker also of our resurrection and life such as it is now lived. That aspect will be gone in the future. There's constant threat even to slide back to unfaith. So there is a cruciform. There is a an ongoing struggle with sin, death, and the devil, those that, that uh, disgusting trinity, that marks and qualifies, if you want, our life of and resurrection of faith, hope, and love today. That will all, of course, be different in the future after the resurrection of the dead. There will no longer be struggle against sin. There will no longer be struggle against death and corruption. The potential of backsliding into unbelief will be absent. To use the imagery of the book of Revelation, the beast and the devil and all things pertaining to them will be cast into the pit and it will be closed up above and locked so they can never come out again. So there is a discontinuity. That is true. But the discontinuity seems to me to be primarily on, if I can, the negative issues. Now there's possibility of sin, although we live the life of faith. There's the life, the possibility of returning to an undisciplined despair, although now we live the life of hope in Christ and so forth. All of that will be gone in the future. But the primary thing, it seems to me, to keep in mind is the continuity. And that is the life which is granted to us by way of our baptisms, namely that we are baptized into the death and resurrection of God the Son made incarnate, who suffered for us for the life of the world, that baptism by way of which and through which we become participants, companions, koinonoi of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, himself fully God, that baptism which gives us the status of son 
and children to the Father who is the eternal Father of God the Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, all of that will continue. And hence the importance again of the fundamental affirmations of the Nicene Creed concerning, yes, the full deity of the Father, but the deity of the Son made incarnate in flesh for us in the person Jesus Christ, born of Mary, the full deity of the Holy Spirit, the fact that we receive in our baptisms and that we continue to receive the flesh and blood of God the Son made man and who has died for our sins in the Lord's Supper The fact that we participate in these means and these instruments and these events of his own deity for us reminds us that already, however slim and slight and counterintuitive and all of that it may seem, we already possess in faith, we possess in hope, we possess in steadfastness, we possess in trust and long-suffering, all those things that denote and in some way manifest our own discipleship in Christ our Savior, these things endure into all eternity. And that's where I think uh, it is an interesting question that you raised about the difference and so forth between a resurrection and life now and the resurrection eternal life to come. It seems to me that the continuities are especially to be emphasized because it tells us already now by the love of God the Father, which he vouchsafes for us in his Son, God loved the world in this way that he gave his own Son into death for our sins. We have this love of the Father. We have this now. We are invited, asked, cajoled daily by the Spirit to live the life of son and child of God. That status is not a temporal status. That status of sonship of God our Father, our Father who art in heaven, thy kingdom come, that is not a temporal claim. That is a claim of our status which shall not be defeated by our death. It cannot be defeated by the corruption of our bodies. It cannot be defeated by any return we might have to sin today or tomorrow. That status is bound to the flesh of Christ the Son, who is himself the eternal Son of the eternal Father. That's the continuity between now and then that I would like your hearers to remember. Dr. Bill Weirich is our guest. We're talking about I Am the Resurrection and the Life. Jesus responds, reacts, in fact, to the mourning of those who are at Lazarus's grave next. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for January would make a great gift for your pastor. It's the new Concordia Commentary on John, chapter 7, verse 2, to chapter 12, verse 50. This latest Concordia Commentary is written by Issues Etc. regular guest, Dr. Bill Weinrich. Learn more about our January Book of the Month at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. 
The New Concordia Commentary on John 7, 2 to 1250. Save the date. The 2023 Lutherans for Life National Conference is October 11th through 13th at the Holiday Inn Cincinnati Airport in Erlanger, Kentucky, with visits to the Ark Encounter and Creation Museum. Look for more information in early 2023 at lutheransforlife.org slash conference. Lutherans for Life, equipping Lutherans and their neighbors to be gospel-motivated voices for life. Lutheransforlife.org. More topics, more guests, more Jesus. You're listening to Issues Etc. One of the most difficult decisions that a spouse has to make is the decision to put their beloved husband or wife into a long-term care facility as a result of mental illness. In the February issue of The Lutheran Witness, the Reverend Michael Casting tells the story of how he cared for his wife during her struggle with Alzheimer's and how he came to grips with this decision. To find out more, you can read his article in the February issue of The Lutheran Witness. Visit cph.org witness or witness.lsms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Our Christian faith is under constant attack, and we must be proactive in keeping our children in the church. At Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, we believe that an education rooted in God's Word is one that stands against the very gates of hell. Nothing in this world is more important. Offering a rigorous classical Lutheran education, we provide in-person and live online remote learning opportunities for preschool through grade 12. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. Dr. Bill Weinrich is our guest. We're going through the words, I am the resurrection of life in John chapter 11. There at Lazarus' grave, Jesus encounters Mary and the Jews who are weeping. And it says that Jesus himself weeps and that he, it says, uh, I think something to the effect, he's deeply stirred in the spirit. What's going on there? You're referring to um, verse eleven thirty-three, and again, verse 38. Verse 33 is especially what you're referring to. Jesus saw uh, Mary weeping and the Jews, and then we are told. And the translation here is kind of difficult. So let me put it this way. He was deeply disturbed and agitated. Now you translated, and this is common, you translated he was deeply agitated in the spirit as though it's his inner self or so. I'm not so sure about that. And in fact, in my commentary, I actually favored this as an instrumental, that he was deeply agitated by the spirit, referring then implicitly to his reception of the spirit at his baptism. And then we are told he aroused himself. Something similar is said in verse 38, where Jesus again was deeply agitated in himself. And now we are told, I'll read 38, Jesus again being deeply agitated in himself goes to the tomb. Some commentators think that Jesus was agitated. This verb, I should say, translated that he was deeply agitated, very frequently has a connotation of anger. So 
some commentators think that Jesus was angry, perhaps at Mary and the Jews, because they were weeping, although he had just said, I am the resurrection and the life. I find that particular commentary not believable. The verb translated deeply agitated can be used, for example, often was used, of horses who were snorting, snorting horses. And such snorting horses were often those who were being prepared for a cavalry charge in a battle. And so it may very well be that we have a similar kind of idea here, that Jesus was deeply agitated in himself and then stirred himself up to go to the tomb because he was going to confront a reality, namely death and corruption, which was the cause of human grief and mourning. And so I think we have here kind of a military scene, if you will, at least an agonistic scene in which Jesus is preparing himself, being prepared by the Holy Spirit, if my interpretation is correct, in order to confront death, which has taken hold of his friend Lazarus, and then by virtue of his power as Savior and Lord, he will call Lazarus out of this bondage. But it is an interesting passage, and perhaps the uh, most vigorous expression of Jesus' anger and deep internal emotion that we find anywhere in the fourfold gospel text. Talk about the liturgical use of this I am the resurrection and the life, is repeated twice at the end of our burial rite. It may, in fact, be repeated a third time in the committal. Memory doesn't serve, but at least in the funeral service, it brackets uh, one of the final prayers. And it's always struck me when carrying out that rite in Christian burial that we're kind of saying, here we are again at Lazarus's tomb. What are your thoughts there? Well, I think that's a really good way of uh, looking at it. Your comment leads one to suggest that in such circumstances as Christian burial, the, the casket, in fact, be draped by a baptismal cloth in recognition that the body lying within was, in fact, washed with the waters of regeneration and anointed perhaps with the oil of the Spirit. Maybe that happened as well. In any case, in baptism it did. And so this body, which lies within that casket, is already dedicated to and for a resurrection unto eternal life, such as we already talked about it a moment ago, because it participated in that eternal life already by virtue of its baptism. And to be sure, the death so experienced, the death of the body, if you will, the death of the soul, if one will, is a major kind of dividing line between that past and that eternal future. To be sure, that's true. 
but it is a dividing line that when everything's said and done has no special force because it will be overcome and effaced when that body rises again, never to die again, rather to be perfused and fully participant in the life of God, the Father, in his Son, for us in the Holy Spirit. And so we will be marked by the never-endingness of divine love and charity, never to fall away again. So it's totally proper to use this language that we find Jesus' language, after all, that we find in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Yes, that's a promise. It's also a certain indicative of that corpse that lies within the casket, but a corpse that is actually not just a corpse. It is already the seat of divine promise and gift, which will be eternally manifested at the end day at the resurrection of the dead. So by all means, any pastors out there listening, if you don't say these words of Jesus in the funeral liturgy that you have, then please begin to do so. Finally, here with the, with just a few minutes, these perhaps are the most famous of Jesus' I Am declarations. How do they fit within the larger context in John's Gospel of these being, and not just the particular circumstance like Lazarus's resurrection, but these being declarations about Christ himself, about who he is and what he's come to do? Yes, as I mentioned earlier on in our discussion concerning Martha's perhaps less than sterling comment or answer to Jesus' question, do you believe this? I noted that the titles, Christ, Son of God, the one who comes into the world, are whatever one thinks about Martha here, these titles are being filled with a specifically Christological and Christian content that was not traditional and commonplace among the Jews of that day. Fundamentally, and we see this also then in the final confession of Thomas, my Lord and my God, is a recognition that the one who appears now to him and to the disciples as raised from the dead is indeed the one who died for the life of the world. And so that Jesus is the resurrection and the life does not place the cross into a background, does not peripheralize the cross. It rather opens up the content of the cross. And so Paul can speak then about his own preaching, for example, in 1 Corinthians 1. I preach nothing but Christ the crucified, who is the power of God, the wisdom of God. And so when in John's gospel, Jesus appears to his disciples as the one who now is raised from the dead, he shows to them the marks of his passion. So he comes as the crucified, resurrected one, or if one prefers, the resurrected, crucified one, from whom then and through whom the disciples received the Holy Spirit. 
And so we have this interesting interplay, almost a kind of a mutual interpenetration of Jesus' passion with his resurrection. He is the resurrection and the life, and for that reason gives his life for the life of the world. There's a certain sacrificial character to it, but within that sacrifice, there's the creative work of God who is bringing life into the world. And so, as First John will remind us, that through the blood of Christ is the forgiveness of sins, but also life is in the blood. To shed the blood of the God the Son is nothing other than to bestow his eternal life, which he has as God, upon those who are washed in the blood of the Lamb. So I do think Jesus' self-declaration here in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life, is really to say by way, if you will, of its benefit, if that's the right way to put it, it's to say the same thing that Thomas says when he acknowledges Jesus to be God and Lord. He is God and such a God, the living God, the God of the living who gives life to the world so that we may be with him forever. Dr. Bill Weinrich is professor of historical theology at Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, author of The Issues, Etc., Book of the Month for January, the New Concordia Commentary on John chapter 7, verse 2 through 12, verse 50. You can purchase this new commentary by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040 or browse before you buy at issuesetc.org. Dr. Weinrich, thank you, and thank you very much for the series. Thank you, Todd. Always good to converse with you. It's always interesting and pleasurable. Thank you for having me. Wednesday on Issues Etc., we'll discuss changing food storage requirements for Mormons with Bill McKeever. We'll look forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary, talk with Pastor Peter Bender about laborers in the vineyard in Matthew chapter 20, and its media coverage of religion with Terry Mattingly. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for listening. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. The Grace of God, the Church's Music, the Lord's Supper every service every Sunday, preaching Christ crucified and risen, our hope for years to come, there is hope in St. Louis, Hope Lutheran Church, that is. 5218 Neosho Street, St. Louis, Missouri. Find us on the web at hopelutheranstl.org. I am beautiful because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am accepted because I'm a part of his family through Jesus' shed blood. Unity Lutheran School in East St. Louis, Illinois, shines the light of Christ in one of the most impoverished cities in America. 
Learn how to support their mission work at unityesl.org. Unityesl.org. Today, with the help of the Holy Spirit, I say yes to God in His ways. College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, offers ACT, SAT, and PSAT test prep, scholarship application classes, college and career counseling, and more. Hi, this is Lori Konsky, president of College Preparation Station. We have helped our students obtain more than $7 million in tuition scholarships in 12 years. Find out more at cpsprep.com. Let us help you create a vision and find your future. The College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, cpsprep.com. Oh, Lord, open my lips. Listen to chapel services live weekday mornings from Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Morning Chapel from Kramer Chapel. Live weekday mornings at 9 Central, 10 Eastern, 8 Mountain, and 7 Pacific at issuesetc.org.